Today is, uh, is every churchgoer's favorite Sunday of the year. The first morning when daylight savings time begins. Said nobody ever, huh? <laughs> we lose a precious hour of sleep. We, um, we, have only, uh, we, we only have 12 folks in Sunday school, and the rest of you guys forgot to put your... By the way, I'm just joking. We had more than 12. But, but you know, we, we, we have folks that, that just forgot to move their, their clocks up. Uh, and then we have folks that walk in at 11.30. There's, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I wrote in here the joke. There's one right there. Now, now, it's only because it's not quite 11.30. There'll be somebody walk in in a few minutes, and, and they'll, you know, go, they'll sneak in. So we have a few rows in the back that are open. That'll be good, okay? But, um, but I don't know about you, but, but I miss that hour, man. I need my sleep, okay? And um, we're not going to discuss the pros and cons of of the practice of, of daylight savings time, but probably the best, uh, the best analysis of daylight savings time I've ever seen was, was uh, this old Indian sage, and you might have seen this on Facebook. It said, when told the reason for daylight savings time, an old Indian wise man said, only the government would believe that you could cut a foot off the top of a blanket, sew it to the bottom, and have a longer blanket. <laughs> Let that sink in. Only the government. You know, um, so so I don't know why we do this daylight savings time. I do like that we're going to have a little more time in the afternoons, and that's a good thing. Uh, the, the early morning stuff, well, that's for the birds, okay? But um, so we've all lost an hour of sleep last night, and none of us are very happy about it. But with hopes of a Sunday nap, in fact, I was talking to the worship team, we uh, finished practice, and I prayed with them, and, and I said, y'all miss that hour? And Sister Garland said, I'm going to make up that hour this afternoon. So, so with a little luck, we're supposed to get some rain coming through, and how many know that's good napping weather, okay? You, you can't do much, but you can nap when it's raining, okay? So hopefully you can catch that hour up. Don't forget, ladies, you have Bible study at 6 o'clock, so, so set your alarms for 530, okay? Just like you, I, um, I dislike losing an hour, but believe it or not, I began to pray about 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 today's sermon and and I believe the Lord spoke to my heart about talking about things that are worth losing now guys I don't know about you but you might not have figured this out about your pastor but I don't like losing okay and 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 if we're going to play a game Fabian we're going to keep score okay you know I can remember way way back when when Hunter and Hayden were just in t-ball Okay, they were coming up with the idea that Seth, we're not going to keep score. Okay, now obviously women came up with that idea. No offense. Okay, but a man would never come up with that kind of idea. Okay, and and I remember we had Hayden's little team, and it was actually kind of our church team. Had boys and girls, and Chantel was the she had the toughest job on the team because she had to keep them all on the bench. Okay, and how many know the team mom is really important in little boy sports, okay? And, and, and they wouldn't keep score, okay? And Mario, they wouldn't call anybody out, okay? But guess what? I was keeping score, and my kids knew how many we got out. And at the end of the game, when we're shaking hands and everybody's going, oh, we had fun, we knew we'd beat them 22 to 4. Blaine, we knew that, okay? You know, Hayden would be at first base, and we might let the little girl uh, stand on first, but Hayden would be looking at you. We got you out, okay? And we all knew it, okay? So nobody might have been keeping score, but Seth, we were keeping score because I don't like to lose, okay? Now, for those of you that are visiting, um, just pray for your pastor. I mean, I need the prayer, and you need the practice, okay? But here's the thing. That, that competitive nature has spilled over to my boys, okay? They don't like losing, 
okay? And it's even infected this pretty little girl, okay? We, we went on a vacation about a month ago, and, and they were playing a little game called Sequence. Debbie, I think you got them started on that, okay? And, and uh, man, it was getting competitive, Fabian. I mean, I'm like, I walk in there, and I just walk right back out, okay? I mean, Seth, they were, they were intense over this stuff. And, and this is the little girl who used to just want to play for fun, okay? But I guess... 25 years with me, I've infected her. So, uh, so pray for your pastor, but, but the facts are, I don't like losing. Okay. Never have probably never will. But this morning's message is things worth losing. You see what guys, there are some things in our lives, some areas of our life that, that you know what it's worth losing in. It's worth letting go of. So I believe this morning the Lord wants to speak to your hearts. So why don't we just pray and ask him to open up our hearts. Because guys, there are some things that believe it or not are worth losing. And I'm not talking about that hours of sleep. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. We praise you today. I just ask right now that you would speak to our hearts. Open up our hearts to receive from you in a great, great way. Lord, I thank you, God, that there are some things you want to do in our lives. There are some some areas you want to transform. I pray that you would touch us today and you would open up our hearts so that we might be changed in your holy presence. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All righty, guys, we're going to talk about four areas that are worth losing or worth giving up. Number one, offenses. Ooh. <laughs> now, guys, I got to tell you, I, this is not one of them amen sermons. This is not one preach it preacher. It's the one where this big boy is going to be stepping on your toes. But let me tell you something. Before I step on your toes, the Holy Ghost stepped on mine. I started this message on Thursday, and Blaine, I didn't get through this first point that I just had to stop for a little while. <laughs> I said, we're going to have to let that one sit a little bit while I pray through. <laughs> because how many know that offenses affect all of us? It affects all of us. These are the things that if we lost, we would certainly be better off for. I believe offenses block the blessings of God more than anything else. Let me say that again. I believe offenses block the blessings of God more than anything else. How do you know that, preacher? Well, if blessings follow obedience and they do, what follows disobedience? Quiet, huh? What follows disobedience? Judgment, regret, Guilt, lack of blessings. You see, guys, offenses keep your prayers from reaching God. Your offenses, because offense is a sin. Being offended is going to happen, okay? But choosing to take offense, choosing to, to, to hang on to that will block your prayers from being heard by God. That's why Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 21 Jesus is, uh, is preaching a, a pretty tough sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 21, he says, You've heard it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill whatsoever, or, or whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, this is a picture of worship, this is a picture of, of going, to, going to church, and there remembereth that thou brother has aught against you, what are we supposed to do? Leave our gift before the altar. Go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer your gift. 
You see, guys, Jesus was trying to explain to us that, that we need to make sure that, that, that we are walking in forgiveness. We need to make sure that we're not holding a fence against somebody. In fact, he uses the illustration that, that if you're going to offer your gift, if you're going to worship God and, and, and the Holy Spirit reminds you that you've got a problem with someone, you should go and try to reconcile that problem. You see, becoming offended and harboring bitterness is a sin. And sin ultimately separates us from God and will keep your prayers from reaching heaven. Did you know opportunities to become offended abound everywhere? They occur every day, even in the church. You know, Seth, I, I got saved when I was in college, okay? Really saved. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd raise my hand once or twice, but I didn't really mean it, okay? I got saved at a youth convention, Ronnie, and I was so saved that, that I even poured some liquor out, okay? But by the next weekend, I'd bought some more, and I, I was over that, okay? But, but I really got saved in college, okay? Really got saved in college, and my wife thought it was a good idea, Casey, that the men got together on Thursday nights and played volleyball. Now, I was a college football player, didn't know much about volleyball, but I'm a big fella. I can jump a little bit back then, okay? So I'm going to show up, okay? And Miss Karen, I'm excited about this good Christian fellowship. And then the volleyball game started. Woo! And you know who the worst one at that volleyball game was? Mario, who do you think it was? No, he was close. Otis Moore. Okay, now I love Brother Otis because he's my spiritual dad, but he was the pastor of that church and he lost his mind the moment the volley would start. Okay, I mean, look, he loved God behind the pulpit. He loved, he loved you, but there was something happening when you started playing a game. He lost his mind. Okay, and I remember going away from that thing thinking, I'm going to strangle somebody because um, Linda and I was barely saved. Okay, just barely. I mean, I'd said a prayer, but I'd still punch you in the mouth. Okay, and I came so close to hitting somebody, and that somebody was the preacher, Fabian. Okay, I figured that would be that'd be a quick way to find a new church. Okay, by the way, don't hit the preacher. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying that because I'm the preacher. I don't want you to hit me. Okay, but uh, but but man, Scott, look, I go to this thing, and we're all good to go, and then the game breaks out. And I'm like, these people are losing their mind. In fact, I came home and I said, Chantel, what's the problem with these folks? Look, look, as a, as a college student, we used to get together on weekends. We'd play volleyball with Casey all, all week in a little sand, and, 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 and we'd even do some other things we ought not be doing, okay? But we got along better than them church folk. Why do I tell you this story? Because offense can happen anywhere. Offense can happen on your way. Look, you get the victory at church, and on your way to the restaurant, somebody cuts you off, and all of a sudden, in Jesus' name. Okay? All of a sudden, you lose the victory. All of a sudden, J.D., somebody will cut you off. All of a sudden, you want to fight. Okay? By the way, you are Cajun people, so I know you because I are one. Okay? We tend to have a fuse that's about, okay, like that. <laughs> The good news is, as you grow in God, your fuse should grow too. Because, guys, I used to be a reformed, I used to be a hothead, okay? Whoo, I was hot, okay? <laughs> that first week in that volleyball game, I almost showed a few folks, okay? But as I've grown in God, my patience, my, my grace have grown because I've realized that God has shown tremendous grace to this sinner. And I need to show tremendous grace to others. Why do I tell you this story? Well, it made you laugh. And that's a good thing when you're all tired. Okay? But I tell you that story because you can get offended even in church. 
You can get offended by the preacher. Now, I will never want to try to offend you, but I will say something sometimes that might offend you. I might even do something that might offend you. It's not my heart, but offenses come. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter number 17, if you have your Bibles, turn there quickly. Luke chapter number 17, here's what Jesus said. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible, say impossible, it is impossible but that offenses will come. Jesus just said offenses were going to happen. Jesus just said you were going to have somebody cut you off. You were going to have somebody tell you off. You were going to have somebody give you a hard time. It's impossible but offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than he should offend one of these, my little children. Again, guys, that's a warning to us as church folks. Let's make sure that that we don't do anything to offend folks. Verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If a brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, seven times a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. How did the disciples respond to all this forgiveness stuff? Verse number five. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> How many ever say, Lord, you better increase my faith. Am I going to put up with that work? If I'm going to put up with that boss tomorrow at work, Lord, increase my faith, okay? If I'm going to put up with that student tomorrow at school, Miss Felton, increase my faith, okay? (laughs) You know, if, guys, we just, we need the Lord. You see, faith is the remedy for offense. Faith is the remedy for offense. Faith that God is able to heal your broken heart, to help you go from bitter to better. To take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for your good and for his glory. Amen? See, you got to believe that God is able. you got to believe that God can fight your battles better than you can. You see, when we get offended, we want payback. We want justice. We want get back at them. All right? When we believe that God is working on our behalf, we step back and let him fight that battle. You see, guys... I've been in a battle or two because I've served the Lord for a while now. You have too. If you've served the Lord any amount of time, Sister Eloise, you've been in a few battles, been in a few spiritual fights. Absolutely. I figured out that in those spiritual fights, Casey, sometimes I got to step back because I can't fight them. I got to let God fight them. Here's the amazing thing about my God. He's undefeated. And it hasn't even been close. JD, when I went, now sometimes I think he needs my help. Sometimes it's like a tag team wrestling match, okay? And I'm like, tag me, tag me, tag me. Actually, it's the other way around. I'm in there getting my brains beat out, and Jesus is going, will you tag me, kid? (laughs) Thank you. Will you let me do this for you? But how many in here are hard-headed? Raise your hands. I know you. Okay, thank you. There you go. There you go. Got a bunch of hardheads in here. You know why you're hard-headed? Because your pastor's hard-headed, and we, 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 we attract each other. So let me say this, hard-headed people. Let God fight your battles because he is able. When you're offended and you will become offended, say, God, you can handle this better than I can. God, you can take care of that person better than I can. God, I want to just lay hands on them suddenly. But God, you are able. 
You know, just this morning I was reading my Bible and I think it's chapter 17 or 18 in Numbers and it's the story of Korah's rebellion. And for those of you that have heard that story before, basically some of the Levites said, Moses, you've gone too far. You're acting like you're the only person who hear from God. How did Moses respond? There was a day Moses would have killed that dude. <laughs> there was a day Moses would have took him back at the temple and only one of them would have come, or the tabernacle and only one of them could come back. But it says about Moses, he fell on his face before God. And he said, God, will you defend me? God not only defended him, God opened up the earth and swallowed all them malcontents. Okay? I mean, look, if you want to say, who did God favor on that day? Moses was kind of God's guy, okay? But Moses had learned a lesson down through the years that God could fight battles that he couldn't. God could win battles that you can't. Some of you are facing some battles today. Some of you had some situations that are over your head, that are above your pay grade. I'm here to remind you today, God is able. God can fight that battle better than you can. Don't take offense. Give those things to God. Don't become bitter. Allow God to make you better. Offenses will come in many shapes and sizes. But you can choose to not become offended. Let me say that again. You can choose to not become offended. You see, it's not what happens to you, but what happens in you that really matters. And one day you can maybe say like Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter number 24. Acts chapter number 24, verse number 16, Paul says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Wow. Paul says, I'm not going to allow anything that happens in my life for me to take offense toward God. And how many know you can get offended by God? Sometimes God does things not quite like you want them to. Anybody ever had those issues? Come on now. (laughs) Hard heads, lift your hands, okay? I mean, look, there's things sometimes that don't go like what we want them and we get offended by God. But Paul says, I will not become offended by God and I will not take offense from man. Guys, we can get there, but it's a process. I'll close with this point in Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 15. Looking carefully less... Well, not that close, Jacob. It's just the first close of the first point, okay? But (laughs) he and Amber are going to play some music in a little while and and you got to watch it when you say close, okay? That woke some of you guys up. I need to say that more often. That's why evangelists close like five times, okay? Oh, I promise not to go as long as Russell did last Sunday, okay? Um, Hebrews 12 and 15. Looking carefully, lest any root of bitterness spring up, causing you trouble. You see, harboring bitterness won't change the other person, but it will sure change you and not for the better. The heaviest thing you'll ever carry is a grudge. It'll make you sour and miserable to be around because you only desire... Your only desire will be to see the guilty party punished, especially when you or someone you love is the perceived victim. What happens is this. Satan enters the picture and convinces you it's okay to harbor resentment. After all, you're only protecting yourself from getting hurt again, right? When that happens, you dig in. Justify your position. Get comfortable living with resentment. That is, until it destroys you. The reason God says look carefully is because our bitterness has many sources. 
Like an absentee or abusive parent we can't forgive. A nasty divorce we keep reliving. The careless words of a friend who's not even aware of their effect. The boss who passed us up for a promotion. By harboring grudges, we let bitterness live rent-free in our heart and our head. What's the answer? Forgive. Before the problem becomes embedded in your emotions and starts feeding off your memories. Rehearsing old hurts drives them deeper until they take root and resist all attempts for you to weed them out. Paul said, make a clean break. Forgive one another as quickly as Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. And the sooner you do it, the better. Remember, there's no emotion so deeply rooted that God's grace can't reach down and remove it. The question today is, are you ready to let him? (sighs) Wow. Again, guys, we need to choose to lose those offenses. Point number two. Lose all your regrets. Lose your offenses and lose all your regrets. We all have regrets. From the small of, I wish I hadn't eaten that extra dessert. Okay? Or some of you that are going to go to the buffet. By the way, you know going to a buffet is spiritual. Paul says, I buffet my body daily. I, I may be taking that out of context, but hey, just give me a little latitude there. We may have regrets about maybe eating too much at lunch or, or maybe saying something we shouldn't have said. Or maybe it's more serious, like if I'd only taken that other job. Or, or what if I'd worked a little harder on my first marriage? We all have regrets. The what if or why are questions that, that those struggling with regrets often torment themselves with. You know, guys, that question why is often way above my pay grade. You know, why do good things happen? Or why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. But you know what? Instead of asking the question why, we should train ourselves to ask the question what? God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to take out of me or put into me? What are you trying to do instead of why are you doing this to me? You see, it's not what you've done, but what you'll do next that really matters. You know, just this week we had a, uh, we had a church go through a crisis up in North Louisiana and, and uh, their pastor of over 20 years resigned this week and It was just a a mess, just a bad situation. And and I reached out to that pastor, let him know I'm praying for him. And I I said that exact word. It's not what you've done, but what you do next that really matters. I try to tell my kids that because I've got two teenage boys. And and, um, in case you think that the pastor kids are supposed to be perfect, well, think again because they're not. Okay? Fabian thinks they're close, but, but, but they're not. Okay? They're, they're kids, they're teenagers, okay? And, uh, and so often they mess up, okay? And, uh, and here's what I try to teach them, Blaine. I try to teach them it's not what you've done, it's what you do next, okay? Do you own up to it? Do you own it up to God? So many times we screw up and, 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 and we want to hide it from God like he didn't see what happened, okay? And, and in prayer, we want to go, we, we just want to not act, we want to act like he didn't see it, okay? Wow, come on now. And then sometimes we want to act with people like they didn't see it either, okay? So the first thing you do when you mess up, you're supposed to own it, okay? It's not what you do, it's what you do next. Do you own it? Do you accept consequences? Do you try to learn from it? You know, only a fool doesn't learn from his mistakes. 
Amen? And the real wise man learns from other people's mistakes. Amen? So guys, I just want to remind you, it's not what you've done. It's not, it's not where you're at. It's where you're going. And it's also what you do next. And, and that can help you tremendously for those of you that are struggling with regrets. Let's consider the Apostle Paul for a moment. If anyone had a few regrets, it had to be that boy. Okay? Think about prior to his conversion, he was a terror to the early church. He imprisoned and probably even killed those who had put their faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah. In fact, Acts chapter number 7, if you have your Bibles, jump over there real quick. Acts chapter number 7 tells this. Acts chapter number 7 is actually the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr in the church. He's stoned. And in verse number uh, 1 of chapter number 8 says, And Saul, who was Paul, was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Wow. Verse number 3, we're talking about Saul here. As for Saul, he made havoc of the churches, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Man, that doesn't sound like a guy who'd be qualified to write half the New Testament, huh? Man, he was something else. He was a terror to the churches. Turn to Acts chapter number 9, continuing to talk about old Saul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city. It shall be told of thee what to do next. This Damascus Road experience was the turning point for Saul. And he began a ministry that led him to write half the New Testament. So guys, think about it. Do you think there were moments that the enemy tried to bring up Saul's past? Do you think there were moments, Fabian, that, that maybe just in quiet times or in prayer that the enemy dropped, a, dropped a, a little memory of, boy, you remember how you used to terrorize the churches? Do you think maybe he was doing a church service and there might have been somebody sitting on the third pew that he had arrested? How do you make eye contact with somebody like that? How do you do that? Do you go pray for him? Do you need a healing? I kind of owe you one. I mean, what do you do? If anybody had regrets, it had to be Paul. Wouldn't you agree? But think about it. Paul was able to overcome his past, and he was even able to write, I think, the key to those of you that are struggling with regrets. It's found in Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3, verse number 12. This is kind of Paul toward the end of his life, end of his ministry. He's writing this to the church at Philippi while he's in prison. And he says in verse number 12 of chapter number 3, Not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended for Christ Jesus. Basically, Paul's saying, I hadn't arrived yet. I tell you what, if Paul hadn't arrived yet, that part in the journey, J.D., 
going to be a while before you and I arrive too, okay? If Paul the apostle hadn't arrived yet, uh, we probably got a long way to go. But verse 13, Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. This is the key for those of you struggling with regrets. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, guys, how do you get past your past? You realize that this one thing you do, with God's help, forgetting those things that are behind you, pressing on toward your high calling. Paul realized it's not where he's been, it's where he's going. It's not what's happened in the past, it's what's going to happen in the future. Amen? Guys, we got to realize if we're going to be used by God, we've got to get over our past as well. Let me share a quick little devotion out of God's Word for you today. You see, when God determines your future, He doesn't consult your past. Let me say that again. When God determines your future, He doesn't consult your past. Mary Magdalene was a known prostitute, but after Christ redeemed her, she became one of the last people to leave the cross and one of the first to discover and announce his resurrection. Because she embraced Christ in the future he offers all of us, she's been mentioned with honor by every ensuing generation. Peter was a fisherman with a hair-trigger temper and some antisocial tendencies, yet God filled him with so much spiritual power that when he preached, Thousands came to Christ. Jacob lived up to his name as deceiver, but God gave him an extreme makeover and changed his name to Israel, which means a prince with God. Ruth was a Moabitess who grew up worshiping idols, not a promising start. But after turning to serve the true God, she became part of the ancestry of King David and our Lord Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus, a well-known embezzler, hosted Jesus overnight in his home and ended up becoming a philanthropist. And how about Paul? Killing Christians didn't put him off limits to God. As an apostle, he wrote over half the New Testament by divine revelation, was taken into heaven when he saw incredible things, and when aprons and handkerchiefs taken from his body were placed on the sick, they were healed. You can read that story in Acts chapter 19. Now, if God can do all that for people with the past, imagine what he could do with you. You see, guys, when God determines what he's going to have you to do, he doesn't check your past. Now, often, out of our past, in those struggles, God can use us to help others. Because the thing I've learned about God is he never wastes a hurt. Okay? Some of you have gone through some things that have hurt you greatly. But I think in those greatest areas of hurt can be your greatest opportunities to minister to others. Amen? But God doesn't consult your past and say, Mario, because of your past, you can't do this. Because of your past, you can't go there. No, no, no. God sees past your past to your future. Amen? And His future for you is amazing. So guys, the key to all this is we have to get over our regrets. You see, regrets fill a victim's mind, but resolve to look to the future fills a victor's mind. Is your mind filled with regrets or is it filled with resolve to do the will of God? Which will you choose to be, a victim or a victor? The choice is yours. Lose your regrets. Thirdly, 
We need to lose our offenses. We need to lose our regrets. And we need to lose the tude, that attitude. How many ever told your teenager that? You ever told your teenager that, Tandra? Lose that attitude. No, no, no. Look, look, the only person allowed with an attitude is the person who pays the mortgage. Okay? <laughs> if you don't pay the bills, you can't have an attitude. Okay? Amen. I knew I'd get a good amen out of that one. Okay? But lose the attitude. I think every one of us, our parents, have told our kids that one time or another. But here's the crazy thing about attitudes. You know, attitudes are contagious. Sometimes you know where that kid got that tude from? Home. Some of y'all are thinking, that's that little friend that I shouldn't let him sleep at the house. No, 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 no. <laughs> sometimes they get it from you. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they get that attitude from us, okay? Uh, but we need to lose the tude. Why? Because they're contagious. They can easily be caught. So let's lose any attitude that doesn't line up with the Word of God. So really, the Word says something about our attitude? Yes, it does. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, guys, we're supposed to have the same attitude, the same mindset, the same principles, the same focus as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wasn't about himself. He was about the will of the Father. You know, when we get in trouble, when we make it all about us, when we make it all about what we want, okay? When we make it all about what he wants, we're a whole lot better off, amen? So we need to lose the tude. We need to lose the attitude. We need to change our stinking thinking. Because, because where does the attitude come from? It comes from us thinking things we ought not think. That's why the Bible tells us to do what with our, uh, with, with our thoughts? Take every thought captive. About a month ago, Gary Sapp was up here, and he, he said a lot of things, but he said one thing that was so simple yet so profound. When it comes to thoughts, it's real simple. Good thoughts come from God, bad thoughts come from the devil. Good thoughts from God, bad thoughts from the devil. So if a bad thought comes your way as a Christian, should you act upon that bad thought? No, that ain't the will of God. When you're talking to that doctor and you want to strangle the life out of him or her, do you think that, God, that, that thought comes from God? No, it doesn't. It comes from you, okay? It comes from the enemy, uh, the enemy. No, don't act upon that. But when God maybe speaks to you and we're taking up a missions offering and, 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 and you say, and, and God tells you to give $100, that ain't from God. No, that probably is, okay? <laughs> you know, the enemy wouldn't tell you to do anything good for God. So good thoughts come from God, bad thoughts come from the devil. Act on the good ones, dismiss the bad ones. You see, guys, it's really up to us. If we want our attitudes to change, we need to let our thinking change. And our thinking needs to be bathed in this Word. Amen? You spend all your time watching the evening news, your attitude will go south. Because there ain't much good in the news. Can I get a witness? Amen? If you spend all your time with people with bad attitudes, you're going to have a bad attitude. we got to watch who we hang out with. Amen? Lose the attitude. As Christians, our attitude should be like that of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll keep this point really, really short. Okay? But we all know that our attitudes sometimes need to go. Okay? And you know what? It's as simple as asking God to take it away. It's as simple as going, you ever had one of those moments where you were having such a bad morning that, Blaine, you just stopped and said, God, I need a restart. I mean, this, this day is really stinking, okay? I'm, I'm not even having fun being around myself, 
Okay? I had those days when I was a school teacher. I'm praying for all you school teachers. Okay? By the way, I'm not praying for patience for you. I'm praying for grace because you don't need no patience. You need grace. Okay? But, uh, but here's the deal, guys. Let's make sure our attitude is just like that of Christ Jesus. Amen? And the fourth area that we need to lose is finally lose control of your life. Lose control of your life. You see, I've heard this little saying, or I've seen this little, this little sticker, this little saying that said, God is my co-pilot. You ever seen that? Well, guys, I don't know about you, but that ain't good enough, okay? God being your co-pilot is not good enough. He must be the pilot. He must be in charge because my track record personally of running my life without God is not very good. How about some of you guys in here? You know, Brother Donna, we talked about small groups, and, and what's one of them favorite sayings when somebody says, I, I, I'm doing this myself, how's that working for you? Okay? Letting God just kind of take the controls when you get in a big bond, how's that working for you? We need to let God have total control of our lives. Amen? Because He can handle it so much better than we can. You see, guys, giving up total control of our life is what Jesus, I believe, was referring to in Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10, and I'm almost done. He tells this story. Matthew chapter number 10, verses 38 and 39. Jesus said, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. You see, guys, over 20 years ago, I gave up control of my life. Over 20 years ago, I I, I stopped trying to run my own life, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and take over, and he did. You see, guys, sometimes we think that, that we can just accept Jesus as our Savior, but it doesn't work like that. He is called to be our Lord and Savior. The Lord part is the part we struggle with sometimes because we want to call the shots. But when it comes to a kingdom, the Lord makes all the decisions. He makes all the decisions. He calls all the shots. You see, guys, there was a time for 20 years I was the Lord of my life. How was that working for me? (laughs) Not so good. Do you remember, Casey, when you were the Lord of your life? Didn't work so good, did it? No, okay. And guess what? You can't even let your wife be the Lord of your life. Don't even try that, man, okay? You've got to turn your man card in if you let that happen, okay? No, but seriously, not even your wife who loves you and cares for you can run your life like God can. But the Lord, who has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives, if we'll just say, Lord, take over. Lord, take over control. Lord, I'm tired of messing this thing up. Take over control of my life. Guys, on this, this Sunday that we all miss that hour of sleep, one of the things that we need to lose again is total control of our life. Because here's the thing about that. Often we give God areas of our life, and then situations happen, things start going really, really good, and we try to take back control. Okay? How many times that you've been in prayer and, 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 and you gave that child to God, you gave that situation to God, and, and then things started to turn around and you said, well, God, maybe you need my help again. Hey, He don't need your help. Okay? He's the boss. He knows what's going on. We need to lose control of our life. In order to do this, we must believe that God truly has a plan for our lives and that His plan and His ways are far superior than our own. And ultimately, we have to trust Him 
through the process. I close for real this time with Proverbs chapter number 3, verses 5 and 6. Those immortal words say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He promises to do what? Direct our paths. If you're continuing to struggle in your walk with Christ, it may be because you've yet to give Him total control of your life.